Welcome back to another episode of Chatterbox. My tool of the week this week is Neil's Yard, a British brand that I haven't visited for quite some time, so I was pleasantly surprised when I went back to the store in King's Cross St Pancras and really had a rummage around to see what they're offering and what I haven't been looking at lately and what I could discover for my kit and also for personal use. And I stumbled across so many things, it was actually quite a good discovery week for us. So the first thing was a recommendation from one of my students, hi Bobby um, Gordon, you were the person that told me about this product. It was a Neil's Yard Remedies Organic Hand Defence Spray. It's a 50ml spray and it's only £6.50 so it's actually very economical. Um, in terms of, I've been really looking for a hand sanitizer that doesn't dry my hands out and doesn't feel that it's too chemical. So this is an all natural organic antibacterial spray and it's got witch hazel in it. A blend of pure essential oils so it smells really great helping the purity and it protects us from germs and viruses. And I can use that for my brushes or for my hands on the go. It's a great sanitizer and really something I think you should check out. It smells brilliant, it kills 99.9% .9 of bacteria, it has key ingredients such as thyme in it so it smells great and the witch hazel is obviously really useful for repairing broken skin or just giving the astringent properties. So having a look at that, that's definitely something that will go straight to my kit and stay there now. The Neil's Yard Remedies Organic Hand Defence Spray. But the other thing that I saw when I was in there which really caught my imagination and I, because I'm so involved in mixology and DIY makeup and make it yourself and customising and bespoke, I was really pleasantly surprised to see a make your own ointment. And the Nils Yard ointment base is a very heavy kind of um, thick balm that was really like a traditional old fashioned ointment. But what I like about that is you could then customise it by adding your own essential oils. And I think that's quite a brave move that they have this option to actually create it yourself. And obviously for retailing, that is quite a brave move for any of us doing DIY makeup because it's a new area where people are customising. But that was something I was really pleased to see, that actually something traditional offering a DIY service of that DIY make-it-your-own ointment. So, thumbs up for Neil's Yard Remedies, a brand I've got to spend more time getting more familiar with the products. I used to use them many, many years ago, and I really used to love them in the blue bottles. It's quite distinctive. Um, interesting, the glass has become plastic, but I guess that's freight and that's the heavy weight of shipping glass bottles. But again, if you haven't been to Neil's Yard Remedies for a while, or you don't tend to go there, I'd definitely just step off and have a look into the offering they've got there, because they do have some really good products, and I'm glad I made the effort to go back this week. This week has been a very busy week in the studio, and we've had a lot of international guests coming over from Islamabad and from Japan. And so it really does give me a moment to reflect on the different needs of all of the different students that come through the House of Glamdor studio. And particularly this week, it was interesting to me that we had some Japanese students who had come specifically to the school for us to provide them with the 1940s Hollywood makeup wartime London experience. And it was like 14 people in the room, and it was a very, very busy schedule and a very busy class. And it was only two and a half hours, so we crammed in so much. We tried to ensure that they got the nostalgia and the feel of 1940s wartime um, music in the background and we had the 1940s makeup look to create and they all worked on themselves, they're business students and studying fashion business. So they wanted to really understand the look and create it on themselves individually as personal makeup. So there was everybody doing their own makeup and everybody doing step by step with a wartime soundtrack. And the London Cosmetics Museum and Zabia brought in 1940s artefacts from the museum collection so they could really understand what the items were. It was a really lovely class and it was really a great opportunity to share ideas, share exchange of information and see a complete cultural shift. This group would be the same group that goes off to learn from geisha 
uh, masters on how to do traditional geisha makeup and here they were in London at House of Glamdolls studying vintage makeup from Hollywood. So what a great exchange of ideas and I think those are the moments when I really love having a makeup school because we really can exchange global information and global ideas and that has to be why we're makeup artists and why we become teachers and actually exchanges of all of that education. So a fascinating and lovely week in the studio. Of course, whenever we start looking at the history of makeup and we go backwards, it can always reflect on what has happened recently and what happens now. So it got me thinking that obviously we're so obsessed at the moment with Instagram and social media and mental health with social media and cutting creases and creating looks and expressing ourselves and expressing individuality. So I thought it would be really interesting for myself as well just to walk backwards a little bit as an educator and also think about this kind of journey from grease to carved crease, I'm calling it, which is essentially the origination of stage makeup and grease paint and how that has changed over the years and how it's all really stayed the same. And yet we're now at a point where we have social media, Instagram makeup, and it's using so many things that have come from the past that it would be good to revisit some of those key moments. In 1873, Ludwig Leischner was a Wagnerian opera singer and began commercially producing a non-toxic grease paint stick. It was housed in cardboard containers and it eased the application of makeup. And this would have been the sort of 1900s version of how makeup was applied. A traditional grease paint, it had some issues with the actual formulation and how it would be packaged, but this was the sort of thing that was being used during the silent film era that existed from about mid-1890s to the late 1920s. And in that period, makeup was really characterised, it was a character makeup. So the actresses had to portray the character without any voice because obviously in the silent era there were no movies with sound. So makeup became a really key tool to expressing a character. And that's really fascinating to me that when we look at Instagram makeup, it's still the same desire to express a character. During this period, Leishner was really dominating and the Leishner grease paint was pretty much being used everywhere and quite and um, domination of the makeup artist and makeup use of that period. But it's interesting that in 1909, Max Factor established, and Max Factor as we know it today, obviously, is another makeup artist and makeup brand, and he started specialising in the production of movie makeup. So here we can see the first competitor, really, that was forming for the Ludwig Leischner grease paint. Makeup on stage was hugely influential to everybody that witnessed it. So it's no surprise that really these were the first trends and the first inspirations that really dominated people's imagination to be able to create and recreate the looks that they were seeing. Another group of um, performers arrived in Paris between 1909 and 1929 called the Ballet Russe, the Russian Ballet, and this was a very stylized makeup, and this had a huge influence on society makeup as people got inspired by an Egyptian influence. It was always about that period that also the Tutankhamun discovery of all of the tomb and treasures was unearthed in Egypt. So there is an Egyptian influence that went to the stage through the Ballet Russe, and again we've continued to see this Egyptian eyelining and Cleopatra fascination go through the history of makeup. As the technologies of the film industry improved, so was there a need for greater requirement for the cosmetics to improve. And by 1914, Max Factor invented a competitor to the Leishner grease paint. He invented better colour ranges, he gave a supreme grease paint, and this was known as flexible grease paint. It was better than the Leishner one in many's opinion, and it came in a tube which made it more hygienic and much more practical for use. So here we saw the switch from Leishner, and now there was a duality, there was now the flexible grease paint by Max Factor. And here starts the domination of Max Factor 
through the cosmetic industry in vintage makeup. The flexible grease paint made by Max Factor wasn't yet readily available, that didn't come until later on, but for personal clients and for stage there was the availability of this flexible grease paint for many of the performers who would then test it, and here is the starting point of sort of that tested and pro-professional makeup, where things were tested on the stage and that really gave them the durability to test whether that product would cross over into a commercial product. With grease paint comes grease, and with that the natural need for powder. Max Factor looked at this problem and in 1918 created Colour Harmony, a range of face powders, which, due to the wide range of shades, really allowed him to customise and provide more consistent makeup for every individual actor or actress that he was working with. The Colour Harmony principle of makeup is, you know, a term still used today where makeup shades were coordinated to complement a woman's natural complexion, but also it was a bearing that they would look at the eye and hair colouring too with the complexion to work out the right powder shade. This is probably a pre-runner to things we have now, which are readily available like Huda powders or baking powders, a selection and wide array of different powders to create different effects that mattify the skin but act as a tint. It's interesting that it was only until really up until 1920 that it was always referred to as cosmetics. The word makeup didn't really exist in the dialogue and language of makeup artistry. And in that, it was Max Factor's son, actually, Frank, that coined the actual phrase makeup and didn't want to call it cosmetics, and that's where we get the term makeup from. It's from 1920, and it's the son, Frank, of Max Factor. The 1920s is a very decadent period of the history of makeup with makeup artists and fans, with the Great Gatsby, you know, with the whole era of the vintage vamp and the flapper. It was interesting that in the 1920s Max Factor created a range and obviously I've been a product development director for several brands and I love collections and the history of those and what sort of inspired and enabled those to kind of come through and develop. And Society Makeup was a collection created by Max Factor which I love the concept of, which was really the first general public collection enabling women to emulate the looks of their favourite movie stars. And I think it's totally appropriate that in the high society of 1920s in that decadent period we have a collection called Society Makeup. In 1922, Max Factor was travelling and visits Germany, and while in Germany he thought it would be a great idea to go and visit his competitor Leichner, and just see maybe if they could collaborate, work together, and see what the situation was between these two giants of grease paint. But it was interesting that during that visit he was snubbed by Leichner, and basically, based on that insult, he decided to launch a competitive range, and here we go, here is that flexible grease paint, massively available in the collapsible tube and he decided to then take on Leishner and something that snubbed him turned into his great success because he then took the pole position of grease paint and Max Factor has now chicaned in front of Leishner as the professional makeup of choice for stage. Over the following years Max Factor really continued to increase and improve the makeup based on the studio needs and the photographic requirements on film. So by 1929, another range had come out, which was panchromatic makeup, and this really gave a better suitability to the colours and shades for the lighting. So Max Factor really does dominate much of the early part of makeup artistry, and is really one of the forerunners of why we have such a great range of foundations, even to this present day, where technologies have continued our drive and our thirst for new innovations, new technology, and new environmental foundations to prepare us for how we want to express ourselves. One of the things which is timeless is our fascination with being flawless. And film stars, women generally, everyone interested in beauty and makeup always comes to this point of wanting to present the best version of themselves. So a flawless foundation, a flawless look, 
is something that's really typified by the 1930s. For me, that's the decade where flawless really does become the symbol of beauty. It got me thinking that with Instagram makeup and the cut crease being so popular now with the younger girls, that essentially in the 1930s is where we first see that with Greta Garbo and Marlena Dietrich, who, because they were film stars, were having to invent and experiment, I guess, invent and experiment being the operative words, that their makeup had to change according to the lighting. And when the lighting was not shadowy enough or contouring enough, they had to create that and be inventive. And what they would find was that they would use a pencil to put that into the socket of the eye to draw a crease like a rainbow, and that would push the socket deeper to create a contour if one wasn't present. So there's a complete tie-in between Instagram makeup of, you know, the modern world, the cut crease phenomena with these very graphic carved creases, and then go back to the 1930s with Garbo and Dietrich, who were already engineering and pioneering this technique, and the similarity is there. The 1930s also was a decade where metallics and foils were becoming popular with Vaseline to make them glossy. And I really find that fascinating, that if you draw a line between 1930s and 2020, you've got a direct correlation of this cut crease with these high pigment foils. And I think that's a really nice sort of reminder that we are actually reinventing what has been there in our predecessors and the glamour wheel continues to turn. And the 1930s is a great stopping point for makeup students and also for anyone fascinated in glamour and vintage makeup because it's the pre-runner that comes next, really, with the calibrator from Max Factory 1932, a system of really specific measurements and almost looks like a scary cage that went over the face to take precise strategic measurements of the actresses to make them even more flawless. And I think there's a continuation of this. You know, we're coming up to a technology where Technicolor is about to come out in the film industry in radiant colour and full colour impact, so the need for cosmetics to perform was more important than ever before. Stage lights are hot and basically what was happening was the makeup was looking slightly shiny and giving a sheen. So in 1935, Mathfactor got back to the drawing board and designed a solid cake form of makeup, which would be applied with a damp sponge. And this offered the advantage of concealing skin imperfections under a transparent matte finish. So here we see the invention of Max Factor Pancake, and this was a hugely popular product for Max Factor again. There were so many innovations and firsts that Max Factor created during this period that this offered now the actresses a much more confident approach to how they performed and looked on screen because now they could control the shine and give them a much more matte finish of glamour. The look of the day was more of a mannequin effect and almost the actresses would want to achieve a mannequin skin. This was also the inspiration for a product I've created for House of Glam Dolls called Mannequin Skin, and it's a powder foundation which contains some skin clarifying ingredients. It's a complete foundation powder, and it's amazing for makeup artists on screen and using it on stage or on video, or anywhere where you need to control shine, because it really just does give you that mannequin skin velvet skin finish. And then we have 1940s with the World War. We've had Technicolor, we've had The Wizard of Oz in 1939, and we've had an explosion of colour, all interrupted by the World War II problem of World War. And Max Factor developed makeup shades, which people might not realise, for the war and for use for the US Marine Corps. So camouflage makeup was being provided by Max Factor during the war. And again, I find that fascinating of the history of men's grooming and male makeup, that Max Factor again champions all the needs of professional makeup in all demands. And here we have camouflage makeup being used in the military. By 1947, another foundation was created. Max Factor had sadly passed away and handed the reins to his junior. And then Max Factor Jr., his son, created his first innovation with the pan stick. 
And the Panstick Foundation, as we know it today, is available in booths, and it's like a huge twist-up stick foundation. And a modern innovation from the grease paint pre-runners of stick foundations, which were very greasy, Panstick now offered a much more sort of improved formulation that held under lights. It was 26 months in development, and it was less greasy. Released to the public in 1948, it was immediately commercially successful and continues to be on offer today. If you think of our fascination and our correlation between Instagram makeup and vintage makeup, we've got the flawless foundation that is so prevalent, whether it's Double Wear or whether it's Huda Beauty or whichever contemporary modern foundation with high coverage, whether it's Fenty, whether it's Chroma Wheel Base, whatever it is that we create a flawless base with, we've got that first part of the face chart of Instagram makeup, correlation back to vintage makeup. The next part of that was the 30s with the cut crease and the origination of cutting a crease created by the iconic film stars. The 1940s gives us the amazing glamorous eyebrow and the arch. Arched eyebrows and domination of red lipstick is the iconic glamour statement from the 1940s World War II era. And the next thing we look at is the 1950s which brings us flick liner. The flick liner is that generation and that decade and that's synonymous with Instagram makeup with a heavy lash and the continuation of the evolution of the makeup, history of makeup from the 1950s and 1960s. If you look at 1950s and 60s, it's the decades where we get lashes and we get liner. And again, there's the return of Cleopatra fascination with the launch of the Cleopatra film with Elizabeth Taylor in 1963. So again, here comes a trend of eyelining and heavy lashes. And this is all synonymous with 1960s beauty. The 1970s and 1980s give us the cheekbone of our Instagram face chart and they give us the blusher and the highlight and contouring fascination that we know today. It was so prevalent in the 1970s and 1980s, a very strong, engineered, structured, almost arrogant, aloof, very kind of pretentious makeup that dominated those decades. And we definitely see those traits of a very angulated, exaggerated cheekbone through the 70s through Jerry Hall Supermodel and going on into the 80s power dressing, it really becomes part of the key look that we still use today. If we take a small leap past the 1990s, which was very much no makeup, makeup and naturalism, up to 2000, 2000 really was the starting point of social media with MySpace. And MySpace was the largest social networking site in the world and operating at its height from 2005 to 2009. In 2004, Facebook appeared but interestingly, that like 2006, people that are still very, very infamous now in social media, such as Jeffree Star. By 2006, Jeffree Star became the most followed person on MySpace and frequently used the platform to promote his attempts and endeavours with music in his career. And he hugely dominates the professional makeup artistry and marketing artistry industry today. And it was the birth of Instagram in 2010 that really launched a new platform as we know it for a statement platform to express yourself and express your personal statement of beauty. And Instagram now dominates the beauty scene. But it's so interesting we go right back to the Egyptians or through that forward, through all the decades of Hollywood beauty and all of the film stars and actresses that we've seen in this conversation, this ramble, this podcast chat through beauty. I hope you've enjoyed it. 2010 and Instagram to today dominates the world and we look forward to see what happens next in the beauty wheel as it continues to evolve. So there we have it, a whirlwind tour from grease paints through to the carved creases that we know now of Instagram as we take you through from grease to crease.
Please do drop an email if you're enjoying Chatterbox the podcast. Give us your feedback and let us know how you're enjoying each subject. Which guests are you enjoying? Which guests would you like to hear from? Which subjects would you like to hear from? Or maybe we're missing the mark and we just need to be thinking some other content that you're more interested in. So do give us some feedback. We're open to your suggestions and ideas and I look forward to hearing from you. Please send an email to office at houseofglamdolls.com. If you've enjoyed our little ramble through the history of makeup and our whirlwind tour, some of the books that I think are really great to have for further information on this are what I'm covering in Easel this section. And this is essentially some key makeup artistry books for further reading, which I think you'll love. The first one is Face Paint, The Story of Makeup by Lisa Aldridge. I think Lisa has a great take on vintage makeup and she has a huge collection of vintage makeup to pull from. So that's one to look out for and you can Amazon that quite readily. And the second one is Timeless by Louise Young, another film makeup artist who has produced a great library material here with Timeless, and that will give you a great nostalgic view on the hair and makeup of decades of vintage beauty. Two great books for any budding makeup artist. To succeed in the career choice as a makeup artist, you have to really be fueled by passion. Without passion, I don't think you can really survive the brutality and the tenacity that you're going to need to create your career as a professional makeup artist. And one of the key things I'll always share with my students is the word driven. I think it's important because when I look back retrospectively to my career, I think the things that I achieved successfully were based on my drive and the fact that I was continuously driven. They really did determine the outcome of success that I tried to pursue. And I think that if you write down the word driven and break that down into letters, each letter gives you a relevant part of the puzzle on how to be driven. So for me, D determines determination. D stands for determination. It means that you're going to need to really have a core objective of what you're trying to aim towards. You have to be determined under all circumstances. There are certain circumstances that are going to go against you, certain circumstances that fall in your favour, but determination is the D for the word driven. R is robust. You need to really have resilience and be robust, face rejections, be tenacious, really invent your opportunities. And robust is something that you have to develop. Often we're not robust, often we're quite vulnerable and we don't actually feel that we can face the opportunity that presents itself and we have to adopt being robust. But try and adopt that in your sort of vocation and your approach to how you determine your makeup artistry career. If this is a career you're going towards and you want to be a bridal makeup artist or a fashion makeup artist or travel the world as a celebrity or music makeup artist, you must be robust. The I is stands for inventive. You're going to have to reinvent yourself, reinvent the opportunities, reinvent your makeup styles, reinvent your skills, go back to makeup school, learn new techniques, learn new tricks, integrate with other people. Inventive is the sign of creativity which takes us to V for victorious. If you're inventive, there will be victory. Ultimately, there comes a point in your makeup career when you do achieve victory, and that sense of being victorious is what gives you the determination to carry on being driven. E is engaging. You have to be a social butterfly. Now, I am innately shy by nature. Most people don't realise that. And so the way I counteract that is by being a joker, being a clown, and essentially that's a way that I can engage with people. And so the engagement and engaging with people is a social butterfly tactic that you must adopt when you're working with teams and working in groups of people. The people that come back and invited back onto sets are those that are engaging. So if you feel that you are a 
you know, a little inverted and you're a little bit uncomfortable with extroversion, you're going to have to find your approach and be engaging. And N stands for no way back. For me as a makeup artist, when I started on this road, there was no way back. There was only one road forward and that's how I had to be driven. So I hope that gives you an insight and just some key affirmation words that give you a kind of word for the week which helps you to focus on your vocation of being a successful makeup artist. And I'll see you again on the next episode of Chatterbox.